Good evening. Glad that I can be here with you all, and I am thankful for the opportunity to come all the way from the cold Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, there's a lot of snow and ice, uh, something that you may have never seen here in Florida. Uh, if you open your fridge, or specifically your, um, I don't know, your freezer, you may get to see some of that. And uh, I am thankful to be here away from all of that while they deal with that. Uh, we can enjoy some nice hot weather, which is really good. I'm thankful to be here with you all. This is my second uh, home. I call it my second home, and it is great uh, to spend some time together. Last year, a brother in Christ uh, gave me a phone call while I was trying to get ready to uh, teach my Wednesday class. I was trying to get my notes ready and uh, just trying to get my mind around the subject. And he gives me a call and he tells me about this trip that he is going to take to Israel. And uh, it sounded really great and, and everything. And I was really excited for him. And uh, after all of this story that he tells me, he then offers me the uh, opportunity to go with him and immediately I thought well I cannot afford such a trip like that and he says well it is absolutely free and uh, maybe you have received some of those emails from an African prince uh, like that maybe you have some you know maybe you think it's a scam and I thought immediately well what is the catch do I have to give one of my kidneys away because that is a no-go but if it's one of my children I can probably do that you know uh, the ones that misbehave more during that week of course I'm kidding with you Maybe. Uh, but, and I thought, well, this sounds like a really good thing. And he tells me there is no catch. You only have to get the money necessary for your domestic flights and uh, insurance and other things of that nature, which still was a lot of money that I did not have available. And uh, I thought to maybe send a few letters. And of course, I sent uh, a letter to you guys. And you guys responded and helped me so very much by helping me um, buy those things that I needed to make this trip possible. And I thought, well, how can I say thank you? A nice letter would be okay, but I thought maybe if I take a lot of pictures and videos and learn a lot from this experience and are able to bring it back home, maybe, maybe in doing something like that, I could say thank you, but it still would not be enough. So I say thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this very important thing uh, for me. It was Flavius Josephus, the first century Romano-Jewish historian who recorded a lot of the history during his time who said, along the coast, Herod discovered a city. And this city was in decay. This city had a different name. It was called Stratos Tower, whose location was well suited to receive his generosity. This he rebuilt entirely in marble and ornamented with a most splendid palace. By lavish expenditure, the king conquered nature herself, constructing a harbor larger than the Piraeus. And this evening, I thought about spending some time, just a few minutes, discussing this beautiful place. As soon as we arrived in Tel Aviv, we drove a few miles passing the plains of Sharon. And you may remember that song of the, that says, that talks about the Rose of Sharon. Uh, you know, and, and they're just plains. And, and of course, we're getting there, getting closer to Caesarea Maritima. If you were this morning in class, Bob spoke a lot concerning Caesarea Maritima, which you can just imagine how I was feeling. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to change my sermon really quick, my presentation for tonight, because he's going to cover every single aspect of it. And of course, there's so much material that he did cover a lot of things, but 
there's still more that we can talk concerning this place. Uh, what do we know concerning Caesarea Maritima? What are some of the things that we can find in the Bible? Uh, Bob, our brother Bob, spent some time talking concerning Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and forward, where we see this great man who is uh, devoting his life to serving God, who gives alms to the poor, who, who helps people in every way, and also his household. The most important thing about this man, it is not all these things that he is doing, but the fact that he is a God-fearer. And we know that God pays attention to those who fear him and do everything that they can to worship our God. Therefore, we find men like, like him, like Cornelius, and many other events happening in this beautiful place, Caesarea Maritima. And what we know concerning this place as we go and dive into history is that it was built by Herod the Great, Herod the Great, who received this place by Caesar Augustus. And he received this place and he built this beautiful area, really, really long, beautiful harbor that is still to this day incredible, breathtaking. But also, we know that he not only built this place, but as we can see in our map, in that red dot, it is along the Mediterranean Sea. And as you're walking through Caesarea, you're going to see a beautiful contrast of the turquoise waters reflecting that light and, of course, the beautiful sand that is golden with those beautiful accents that are the seashells that the water brings back to and fro. You would think about going to Cancun, maybe uh, Anna Maria Island is spending time in there. I think that I could stay in Caesarea Maritima. Of course, it's a park and they would kick me out at 6 p.m. in the evening. But I can tell you that even though it is a beautiful place, there is so much history that we can find in the Bible. And as we continue to think of Herod, we know that he not only built this place, but he built other places like Masada that has a very, very sad story. And you can learn as you go to Masada the things that occurred in this place. How many people, those, those Jews that escaped to this area and how those soldiers decided to kill everybody. And they drew lots to find who would be the soldier who would then take his life because they said something along the lines as we are not going to allow our children and our family to go and be enslaved by the Romans ever like this. So they decided to do the unthinkable. And Flavius Josephus was able to record this concerning this story that happened in this place because a few people saved themselves by jumping into whales you can find in Masada. But he also built the Herodium, beautiful, grandiose structures so you can see in there. And as you're looking at them, you're thinking, how is it possible that a person would think to create something so amazing in a place such as this? We also know that Herod the Great did the expansion uh, of the second temple, the temple mount that we know, and the second temple is right here as we can see it. This is, of course, not the real second temple because uh, those people would be so very tall and that is not there anymore. It is just the ruins, but he had a great vision to construct, to build, and do massive things. And, of course, a lot of it was for 
political reasons for power that he desired as everything that has to do with those people in that time. Well, Herod the Great did not receive this nickname because he was a great guy, right? He did not receive this nickname because he was a great guy, but he received this nickname for the things that he built. Because when we look at his life, we know that he was a terrible, terrible guy. The first instance when we find Herod, we can find him in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 2 when he gives that hair-raising order to kill those innocent children who were two years and younger in a failed attempt to kill who he thought would be the king of the Jews, Jesus. A horrible person. We also know concerning Herod the Great, uh, I promise you that we'll get to Caesarea Maritima in a moment, but we also know concerning Herod the Great that he also killed some of his children. And we also know that he died later. He died later in Jericho when he was 69 years old due to a painful skin disease that he had. And I cannot imagine being Herod the Great and having all that power and having done all those horrible things. But you think that he would spend some time at night thinking and relieving all of the pain that he caused to all of the people around him. I cannot imagine being in one of the most beautiful places, Accessoria Maritima, surrounded by water. And even in that place that looks like a spa, I would be able to get some rest for the things that I have done would chase me for the rest of my life. Caesarea Maritima is definitely a beautiful place. This would be the area where we see that square of water where we will find a tower. And it is a harbor that he created, and it is, of course, beautiful. But Caesarea Maritima, as we have spoken about already, is located on the Mediterranean coast, 24 miles from Tel Aviv, and around 75 miles northwest from Jerusalem. So you have to go up and head west to find Caesarea Maritima. And of course, we know concerning the history that we read about this place that it had it all. It had everything that you can imagine. That is why I like to call this place a mini New York. Not only do you have all kinds of people from there, and the culture was uh, very different because you will have Gentiles, you have Jews, you would have the Hellenists, you will have Samaritans, you would have people from all kinds of places and backgrounds coming to this place because it was a harbor. From this place, Paul would go back and forth, and many other people uh, that would travel to Caesarea Maritima, it was the place to be. You can go around and see that Caesarea Maritima had all kinds of beautiful buildings. And uh, one of the buildings that we see in Caesarea Maritima uh, is a theater that Herod the Great built. And this theater is massive. And you can see some of those people that I was with. I asked them for permission to film sometimes. You're going to see their faces really close, you know. I tried to edit it, all that. But this is a beautiful, amazing place. Uh, you can tell that that sound system is about 2,000 years old and still working till this day. Uh, that is incredible technology that they had back then. Uh, but as you can notice, behind all that structure, you're going to see the beautiful water. And I can tell you that if you're in that theater and, if, and if for some reason Pavarotti is not singing the right keys and you're bored with him, you can just go and look at the water and be amazed at the things that God has created. You also find in this place 
A hippodrome. And what is this? A hippodrome is where they would raise those hippos, right? Uh, no, they would raise the horses. And I'm not sure if you ever watched that movie, Ben-Hur, and that famous scene where they're going around this place, and, and that man is basically crushed. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, I just told you enough. Uh, if you go watch it, you know, I'm sorry about that. But this was one of the major attractions of this place. And as you can imagine, going around this area, you're going to encounter that this place is surrounded by this beauty, but this would seat around 13,000 people. 13,000 people surrounded in here watching those horses run. And you would wonder, well, what is the best place to sit down? And the best place to sit down is where that curve is happening in the middle of that hippodrome. Why? Why is that the best place? But I can tell you that those horses are running really fast. And as you're making that sharp turn, what is going to happen to your chariot and your horse? If you drive like me, maybe if you uh, ride your bike just something like me or walk like me or are clumsy as I am, I bet you that there's going to be a lot of falling down and getting back up. And the cool thing about this, which is kind of uh, horrible to think about, but if there is some uh, uh, cuts and there is some blood in the way, they would not just call somebody and say, Mez in aisle nine, they would just go and, and kick some sand on top of that and continue racing. This place is absolutely beautiful. And as you can see in the distance, you're going to see that big aqueduct that Herod built. This place had it all. They would bring waters from the springs of Mount Carmel so that people did not have to worry about drinking that salty water, which, of course, you cannot drink at all. This place, in this area, you're going to find that there were a lot of wells that had that beautiful, clear, awesome spring water that was cold from Mount Carmel. And this is a different view of the Hippodrome. As you're getting closer, this is perhaps the place where they would bring the horses and they would present all of those people that would compete in this sport. And a lot of people from Europe, and this, this is sad concerning uh, Europeans, that they decided to not go to Caesarea Maritima to go and race because they said, well, it is a very, very long trip there. And if I lose, then I do not win anything. So history says that these, uh, at this time, it is when they decided then to create the first, second, and third place. And that way, if you end up in second place, you will still get maybe a silver medal. Uh, that is a precursor of everybody wins, nobody loses, and you can get that uh, participation ribbon that we now uh, you know, think that is just horrible. And you can just, again, see the beautiful waters as you're walking in this amazing place. It is an incredible thing to see, definitely. But also, we can know that this place has so much history attached to it. In AD 6, the year the Romans obtained control over Judea, Caesarea Maritima became the capital province and the headquarters of those uh, Roman legions. That is why... Cornelius from Acts chapter 10 was in that place. This was the place to be, the place to go, and where, of course, we can find that Pontius Pilate, who would wash his hands in that very famous, well-known judgment over Jesus. And he set from Caesarea Maritima to go to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover festival in which he sent Jesus to be crucified.
And one cool thing that we know concerning uh, archaeology is that a few years ago, there were some skeptics that came forward and said, well, that is not true, that, uh, uh, that sorry, that uh, this man, of course, who was the prefect over Judea, was that. Of course, he was. We know that Pontius Pilate was that prefect, and, and we know through history, but they would say, that is not true, the Bible is incorrect, and guess what they found? Archaeologists found. They excavated a rock. They found this rock, and guess what do you find in this rock? You find that the rock says Tiberius, and then you find that it says Pontius Pilate, Prefect, and Judea, which proves that the Bible is accurate. Now, I did not need to see that rock to believe that the Bible was true, that it was accurate, but guess what? Finding more things like this help us to have these things at hand and to say, guess what? The Bible is absolutely real. There's many things that happened in Caesarea Maritima. As we spend some time talking in the morning, Acts chapter 10, where Peter visits Cornelius and baptizes him and other Gentiles, where do you think that they were baptized? Now, I don't think that there's any water available in this place, right? You can just imagine going to the ocean by the sea and just baptizing all of those people to be added to the church that Christ died for. And you can also see in Acts chapter 12, verse 19, where Peter came to Caesarea after being delivered from prison. But one of the things that we will speak for just a few more minutes is found in Acts chapter 21, verse 8 through 11. So if you have your Bible with you, let us turn to our Bibles in Acts chapter 21, verse 8 through 11. And you think that is a very strange reading um, for David to come and read for all of us, but something amazing happens in here because it is in Caesarea Maritima where we find that Agabus prophesies Paul's imprisonment and imprisonment, and later how uh, the fact that he was going to lose his life. Notice in verse 8 and forward, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said... Notice what he said. Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and delivered him into the hands of the Gentiles. And notice the answer that Paul gives to this man. Now, when they heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And that is a powerful statement that he would make concerning his faith that still sounds so very loud in our hearts as Christians. We are blessed to live in a place where we can worship, where we do not have fear. Being in Jerusalem and in Israel, I felt certain tension of course, as you find a lot of Americans traveling in there, and there is this sense uh, of fear concerning the, the, the fact what you can do and some, some of those things that you cannot do. And 
Paul lived during a time that it was very difficult to be a Christian, where he was in a lot of persecution, where people wanted to kill him. I mean, Paul would be the last person that you wanted to be with if you wanted a a really calm, peaceful ride. The man was stoned. The man got bitten by a viper. He shipwrecked. All kinds of horrible things happened to Paul. And yet he was still strong, trying to reach a world that was lost, with the gospel of Christ. May we always be like Paul, whose life belonged to Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Sometimes we feel that we're being persecuted as Christians if somebody disagrees with our beliefs. I can tell you that Paul dealt with a lot more. Sometimes we don't feel like being faithful because the weather is not cooperating. I understand as we get older, things become a lot harder to do. But I can tell you that some people make some excuses in their lives as to why not, why they're not being strong Christians. I can tell you that Paul could not do any of that because he had made a purpose in his heart. And what was that? To know Christ and him crucified and to follow and to give and dedicate his life absolutely 100% to the preaching of the gospel. May we have the faith to stare at the eyes of death and say, just like Paul, in a way, bring it. I will continue to do the job that I was sent to do. May we never forget that Christ died for all. As we look at the lives of the many people that we encounter, especially in Caesarea Maritima, we know that Cornelius was a Gentile and Christ died for every single one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter how tall or, or maybe not so tall you may be. It doesn't matter how smart or not so smart, but he died for everybody. And it is up to us to make the decision to come close or stay away from him. May we never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ that to this day still has the power to transform the hearts of everybody that comes to the gospel and obeys it. That is why the words of Paul that we find in Romans chapter 116 still sound very loudly today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes we're ashamed to say that we are Christians. Sometimes we are ashamed to go and talk to somebody concerning the gospel that saves. And Paul would say those powerful words. And they still mean something to us. It is believed that when John wrote the gospel account, uh, his gospel account, he was old and great. And it is in the first verses of John chapter 1 that the setting is not really Palestine, but it is the cosmos. As he goes to Genesis and brings the account of Genesis into his time, and he goes and delves to try to prove that Jesus is the word of God, and he introduces to Jesus, to us, Jesus, the word of God, who is the light, who brings the truth, who is everything. And he makes a very special stop in that verse 5 where he goes and says something that tells us that the light has not been overcome by darkness. When he wrote this account, it is believed that he was old and gray. And 50 plus years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, John would go and say those words that he came to bring that light and the light was not overcome by 
and darkness, brothers and sisters in Christ, 2,000 plus years after the coming and the resurrection of Jesus, darkness still has not overcome the light. You do not need to go to Israel to find that out. You do not need to go to Israel for your life to be absolutely transformed. Because if I had gone to Israel without first believing this, that trip would be like going anywhere else. That trip meant something for me because I believed in God and because I believe that he died for me and for everybody else in this world. So it is within the, the, the pages of this wonderful book that we can find that light, that we can find that truth, and that we can find the transformation of our hearts that we all need. So at this time, as we think of all of these things that happened in history, and we go through them, and, and we, you can, don't need to again to travel there, but you can find them in Google. You can find them everywhere. But you will never, you will never find the truths that you need anywhere else in order to get to heaven other than in the word of God. So I can tell you at this time, if you are thinking about becoming a Christian, if you want your heart to be transformed, if you want your life to change, then you need to look in the pages of this book and find out how you can be saved. The Bible tells us exactly what we need to do in order to obtain the salvation. And I am sure that anybody will help you here to guide you to that point. And if you're a Christian and your faith has been going down, perhaps you feel like you need uh, some shock of energy to wake you up. I can tell you that a trip to Israel would not do it for you. But the answers that you seek are right here. If we can help you in any way to encourage you, to help you by praying with you, to help you by studying with you, please at this moment come forward as we stand and sing this invitation song.